Traguna, Macquadis, Tracorum Satis D. Traguna, Macquadis, Tracorum Satis D. Welcome back to another deep dive into the files of Saturday Morning Confidential. We're rambling. But speaking of the 70s, uh, yes. I'm, we're not even going to do a lead-in today. I can put it in later. That's the beauty of editing. Uh, <laughs> everyone, we're going to welcome back Jared Uskowskis. Jared, welcome to the show. I love you. I'm so happy you're here. I am delighted to be with you and to be back. Because we've been talking about doing this movie for two years now since I kicked off the whoop and dreams literally in 2019 we've been talking about doing this movie uh everyone knows that I've been trying not to do Disney properties but I'm doing all of uh inspired witchy magic things for the rest of this year and this is inspired it's witchy it's musical it's also Angela Lansbury what are we doing today we are doing bed knobs and broomsticks yes we are uh uh so what is your earliest connection with bed knobs and broomsticks okay it was now you're a little younger than i am so i don't know if you have the same vivid memory of every year the wizard of oz would be on tv Mm -hmm. okay and that was the event Uh, you know I, i feel like for some people there was also like the annual showing of um uh, Gone with the Wind, or mm-hmm. you know, that there was these annual things that would show up once a year. Maybe the James Bond movies. I know they did this with when I was younger, but things that would show up once a year. And one of the things when I was three or four years old that would show up once a year on the Disney Channel was Bed Knobs and Broomsticks, mm-hmm. and that was a big effing deal in my young life. I loved Angela Lansbury from various things. I mean, I grew up like the first VHS tape I remember really wearing out was my grandparents' copy of, and I've told you the story, Death on the Nile. Mm-hmm. And so, of course, that Angela Lansbury, mm-hmm. Jessica Fletcher, Angela Lansbury. You, and then, of course, as an older person, a slightly older person, middle school, when I discovered Maine and I discovered Mrs. Lovett and, mm-hmm. you know, realized, oh, wow, she's everything. Mm-hmm. as they say. And so, I mean, at three, four years old, this was the biggest deal in my year. Mm-hmm. So I would, I would literally prepare. I had the spells memorized. I was like, I was ready. I would recreate scenes with my Legos. You know, I, I loved this film above and beyond pretty much everything else. I love that. I love that. You know, what's so interesting is I actually don't think I connected with this film until I was an adult. Um, Because oddly enough, doing a little research, this was one of the very first Disney movies to get a VHS release. It was a licensed originally, um, to a uh, photomat corporation after disney well so a lot of people should know i've yelled about it enough disney tried to take down the corporations the four together who were trying to create home video disney took them to the supreme court to stop it they did not win and this is in like the two years after Walt died. So like the company is in shambles. We're talking 1978. Um, 
that they were starting to talk about the idea of home video. I believe the court case was 7980. And in 80, Disney said, well, if we can't beat them, we might as well join them. And so they started partnering with Photomat, which then uh, they announced in 82, their actual partnership with RCA, which is where most the the early Disney um, home videos came from. But this got a very limited release of VHS and Laserdisc on March 4th of 1980. And again, in 81, they did a second printing. Um, so I was not realizing that this, this along with like nine to five were some of the very first VHS movies available in home. Uh, which for me is odd now that I never probably saw it until, um, I had a friend who had a massive movie collection at one point and we sat down and watched it and I just chalked it up to the fact that it was witches, something, something conservative parents, blah, blah, blah. But you know, and at that point I knew Sweeney Todd, I knew murder. She wrote, which is how that's on my, uh, pop culture compass. That is where my Angela Lansbury needle sits is like, um, you know, cause murder, she wrote lasted a thousand years on television, I believe 11 seasons, 12 seasons. Well, and in our young life, I mean, that was, that was huge. Was it, well, was it Saturday and, night? Yes. It and it was years. a huge, huge part of destination television. And that's yeah. what I feel like everyone that listens to the show remembers destination television. I don't have that many younger listeners. Um, and there is something so interesting now that like we have Disney plus um, I subscribe to wow presents plus because I, enjoy drag race even though i do not enjoy rupaul and there is still something really fantastic about going okay i'm gonna wake up on friday i'm gonna make a half an hour before work and i'm gonna watch wandavision or i'm going to you know i know that drag race uk drops at you know 8 p.m in the uk so it's gonna be out over here at 8 a.m on my streaming service i kind of love that we have the ability to rewatch it whenever we want but we're going back a little bit, to, just a little bit towards destination programming. And I think we have a lot of like Game of Thrones to thank for that because I had not seen people react to destination programming like they did with Game of Thrones in probably 20 years since the original American Idol was on TV or when Grey's Anatomy first started, you know, the, even pre-TiVo. So I think this is one of those things that like, we've all gone back to it, but I love, you know, we were talking about Britbox and Acorn. Like I uh, don't subscribe to it because it comes with Amazon and I don't mind watching the commercials, but IMDb hmm. TV has all of the murder. She wrote episodes. And it's so interesting to rewatch through those one because Angela Lansbury gives you Shakespeare when she doesn't have to, like she brings so much to every episode. And then you get the weird episodes where they're like, you're going to play your cousin who has a deeply common uh, uh, dialect, who may or may not be in, in, in something very similar to your Mrs. Lovett wig, because you may or may not be a Sweetie Todd on the Broadway right now. But you know, it's just one of those things that it's, I, that is where my reference for her is. And then obviously Mrs. Potts in Beauty and the Beast, yeah. um, iconic perform. I mean, iconic performance, Jerry Orbach. Angela Lansbury, David Ogden Stiers. I mean, just the, uh, it's just the three of them alone. I just, you know, but we're here to talk bed knobs and broomsticks, which is, it, so go ahead, it, honey, go ahead. And go it's ahead. so funny 
that you say, you know, she, she's, you know, she's giving you Shakespeare and she doesn't have to. I was doing my homework on this and I read that she was really disappointed because of all of the special effects, everything had to be storyboarded and therefore mm-hmm. very much act by numbers. Uh, I think someone mm-hmm. referred to it as, and that she really didn't feel that she could exercise her full, the full breadth of her work. Mm-hmm. I mean, mm-hmm. this is the woman who, oh my God, a Manchurian candidate, you know, mm-hmm. uh, Mrs. Island. she's just mm-hmm. terrifying. So, I mean, she could literally do anything. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I, I read that and I felt so bad because I have always thought that she gave a beautifully delicate and nuanced and honest performance in this, mm-hmm. when really it is absolutely ridiculous and campy and mm-hmm. silly in all of the best sorts of ways. And yet, <laughs> I, I won't lie, I, I rewatched it yesterday and there are several moments when I get choked up and, you know, spoiler alert, you know, cover your ears if you haven't watched it, but there were two specific moments near the end. And one is when she calls out for the brigadiers to attack Mm -hmm, and mm -hmm. she's on the broom and she waves the sword and I start sobbing. And the second one, I somehow forgotten about this. I haven't watched it in about a year. And I forgot the moment when, uh, oh my God when professor brown just leans in and they kiss mm-hmm, mm-hmm. and it's the simplest most sweet little kiss mm-hmm. and they both they both have a reaction to it and it's just like well yeah and i start you know i start crying i'm sitting in my bed mm-hmm. watching this movie folding laundry crying and i just thought wow to still be that affected by her, not only her performance but but his as well you know what an under appreciated actor i think he he is so that's another oh well and he's wonderful and he's i mean you know uh this is coming in the wake of of um mary poppins i don't Mm -hmm. know why i always felt this was released first and the mary poppins was released second but david tomlinson is no like these are probably his two best known disney roles but he's been in he was one of those you know this is after the studio system but you can't tell me that Disney did not have 25 actors that they loved to work with who got brought back for everything. I mean, Haley Mills, Dean Jones, David Tomlinson, Julie Andrews, obviously. Um, you Ed know, there's your, Ed, Ed, I mean, how... I feel like if you can get Edwin to agree to do your, like, I feel like he's also just that person that would agree to do film or do a project, and he just is such a he's such a delight to bring to it but there's something about this because there is an absurdity to this film leaning into it and what's really funny in the marketing for this film i find no matter what point in time we are i'm looking on the wikipedia right now with the original poster which plays into the only 12 minutes of the movie that we get that's animated and live action but that is how most people remember this movie is just that bit. And it's so interesting because I was rewatching it again today. Um, you know, I watched it a couple weeks ago when we were going to record the first time, but I, <laughs> I, um, and I revisit this a couple times a year. It's quite fun, mm-hmm. but I always forget that one, this is a very long movie too. See, but now, it's but it's like it doesn't feel long it's just thank a you. very different well and what's funny is this is not the longer version of the movie there is a longer version of this movie um 
Now, I couldn't confirm whether the Disney Plus version is the uh, the recorporated version of the movie because it is two hours and five minutes. Now, I do know it was I think cut that's down. A medium length. Yeah, because I know it was cut down to exactly two hours to fit in the premiere of Radio City and yes. then stayed that way. And then the recorporated version of the movie came in 1998. Uh, on Disney Channel when they showed it for the first time, which makes me go, was that broadcast three and a half hours? Four hours? I um, oh, I feel like it was only maybe two and a half, the, the full length one. Well, prob- well, we're also talking 98 before we have the commercial ads that we have today. Um, mm. And that was, you know, that was after Disney had transitioned from like an HBO style Disney Channel to a cable network. Yes. Um, One of the things I know is on Disney Plus is the uncut uh, Portobello Road sequence. Yes. And I want to talk about that in in a bit because you can tell it's uncut, but I don't mind it. Have you, I know you and Vince like to travel to the UK much like I do. Have you been to Portobello Road? Many times. To the, the market. Good. Good. It is. It's a good time. If anybody travels over there, you're listening over there. Go down to Portobello Road. I know they're opening right now, but I'm sure everybody's struggling. So go, go give the vendors some money. Um, I was, I was shocked the first time I went down there and I had forgotten about that scene from the movie. And then, so after I'd gone down the first time I went, Oh, I've, I've been, I have been there now. <laughs> well, the, um, the first time we went, we, um, we literally, we, we came in like from the wrong end. I forget how, like we came in from the, the top end and I'm just like, Ugh, you know, okay, this is, this is, this is not what I was expecting. And then we walked around a bit and then I looked down and went, oh, and suddenly there's the Portobello Road market mm-hmm. on, on Portobello Road proper. Mm-hmm. And it's it, the, the movie. Yeah, it's pretty, pretty accurate. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And, you know, we've been there a number of times and walked it, you know, and the, the stores that just it's mm-hmm. the, 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 the labyrinthian jewelry stores and mm-hmm. antique shops and. Oh, there's this one men's clothing store. I'd have to remortgage the house to buy an outfit. Yes, I know exactly what you're talking about. Oh, Absolutely. With all the tweeds. Mm-hmm. And, uh, mm-hmm. Yeah, okay. You're going to have to edit that out. <laughs> no, 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 no. <laughs> well, no, I always try to get some strange metal trinket or antique item every time I go that's very small that can obviously fit in my suitcase. But mm-hmm. I always try to buy something strange and unusual when I'm down there, um, which is why I like when it's not raining and you've got the you've got the stalls with the stores mm-hmm. and you can go kind of in and out, but there's also this great um, queer owned uh, record store. That's just off Portobello. It's a, like when you're walking down to Portobello, it's just before you turn onto Portobello road proper from the tube. Um, it's a queer owned record store now. And they had all of these fantastic, like buttons and pins and vintage t-shirts and all these cool little things. Uh, so I bought a ton of culture club stuff for like, one and two pounds each when I was there that was just like the it had the pin but it had like the male and female gender identity signs on the end of it and just really fun subversive little very like protesty things which I adored um and you know uh getting back to getting back to this movie uh there's so much to love about this movie I do 
question the structure of it sometimes when we get into that, but I also have not read the book. So like, I'm going to leave that here. Um, books, but plural. Books, Because they, yes, they conflated yes, yes, too. Yes. So. Um, because originally this was going to be before Mary Poppins. Yeah. And he was trying to get the, this is when Walt, I feel like Walt or Walt's children were just reading voraciously and like, he was just trying to buy up all these properties um that he good could dad. good, good dad. dad yeah good dad um <laughs> uh you know he had just opened them a theme park <laughs> um and so, you know all these things that i it was at this thing and then when uh he got the rights from pl travers he shelved this and then they immediately kind of brought this out and yeah it is a combination of the magic uh bed knob and bonfires and broomsticks yes which now um, I've, I've realized I need to read them. Mm -hmm. Or How to Become a Witch in 10 Easy Lessons. I almost feel like if this movie didn't exist, I would want to see like um, a series, like a limited series uh, based on that title. Like I feel like that is just, it's such a great title for a book. I would have picked it up off the shelf. It is wonderful, wonderful, wonderful. Um, and so, you know, this is uh, during this time, Walt is the king of adaptation and Disney is the king of adaptation. Um, and this is such a fun one because we do get these sections of animated crossover. We get a rich kind of wartime um, story, which uh, is still close enough to them now where they could have access to costuming, all these things. And so- it's like, it, was, it was 30 years exactly, because mm -hmm. they filmed it like 1970, right? Yep. And I, I, I'm so glad you said that because I, 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 I took a screenshot when I was watching it. Oh, there it is. And about, um, you know, when it says, you know, England, 1940, again, a time for valor, a time of whispered events now faded with the passing years. Oh. And I just, that struck. And again, it was probably, it was, no, it wasn't the first time I got choked up during the screening because the Bayo Tapestry uh, intro. Crap oh, I love always that. just have me like <gasps> mm -hmm. beautiful. To, not only is it beautiful, it's just it's really cool. Mm -hmm. I miss having the lead ins to the movies. Like I understand why we have the credits on the back end now, yeah. but um, for union and rights reasons. But I love <laughs> the '60s and '70s the lead in titles. Um, they're just so, and they're so interesting. Uh, one of and Disney again, key of them. I love thinking about like the parent trap lead in with, um, oh my God, that's the one that crossed my mind. The Annette and Frankie song with the, yeah, the back and it, forth it, with the paper, the stop motion. Yes. Um, oh God, I love that movie so much. Oh fuck. Oh, I love that movie. Um, but yeah, there's just launching in i want to talk about the things that we love like right off the top so the plot for anyone who has lived under a rock and has avoided this movie though i find this is it has apparently been one of the most streamed movies since disney plus started and looking on twitter and on social media it's a movie that a lot of people had completely forgotten about and have now gotten to revisit and relove, which i absolutely love and apparently a lot of people confused it with the um Warner Brothers film starring Don Knotts, the, um, don't worry, he's a fish. Mr. Limpet. It's it, Mr. Limpet. A lot of people uh, confuse this as that, um, which, you know, is understandable. There is a giant musical scene under the sea. Um, 
Uh, though I do love in the Little Mermaid ride at Disneyland, there is a Mr. Limpet audio animatronic hidden in the scene as a, a love of uh, the animators of Little Mermaid to the Mr. Limpet movie. And it's also Don Knotts, another another Disney stay. Like Yes, yes. Um, but also, like from the same time, the the Don Knotts movies of the 60s and 70s, um, the Fantastic Ghost of Mr. Chicken, The Love God, the um Oh, uh, the astronaut movie. Uh, what's it called? Uh, bah, bah, bah. Uh, but he's so good. And I would argue that today he might not be able to be as successful or today he'd be just as successful. But it's one of those things that it is. They're so interesting. I'm not sure we can make any of them again. But, you know, I need to watch The Ghost of Mr. Chicken this week. That's a great Halloween movie. Ah. Mm-hmm. Oh. Yeah, another God, it's you and I, we could just ramble for hours. So what are some of the things? Oh, so God, everybody's like, well, the full episodes are back. Um, uh, so for anyone who has lived under a rock, uh, we follow uh, the lovely, uh, oh my God, we can, uh, Egg, Eggmentine, Eggmentine, uh, El, El- Eglantine Price. Eglantine Price, a sweet woman living in the English countryside of Dorset um, during the early days of World War II, um, who is very quiet. She's very stoic. She is on the surface at first glance an unlikable human. Uh, or she does not care about being liked, I think is a better way to put it. Um, ends up uh, with three orphans from London who in the, which I, you know, most people now know from like Chronicles of Narnia and things was a very common thing that happened during World War II of moving the children out to the countryside. Um, now, here's, here's, here's a point that I want to, I want to ask about because it becomes very confusing to me. And I, I feel like, am I missing this? I assumed they were war evacuees, but they're, they are orphaned. Their parents have died. I think so. Okay. Because at the end when they're like, we really hope you were going to be your dad. Well, but they yeah. were, they were also emptying. I just a little historic research. Even the orphanages were being um, emptied and sent to the countryside. One, I think in hopes that someone would adopt them and get them out of the streets of London. Um, two, uh, you know, I feel like both the older two siblings were just too young to be kept and and put in not put into war but to they're just a little too young she could have easily become like a nurse's maid he could have become some sort of volunteer but they were just on the young side and so probably did not want to recruit them so they did you know they were able to keep the siblings together but i do think you know just from a story aspect it is unusual that they're orphans and all three siblings are kept together yeah um or made it from london together that they were even in the same orphanages together but no i believe from what i can see uh they are orphans when they come to um the community um and you know there's not which i you know i do think is interesting that the streetwise orphans running back to the city because they have a better on the streets um but you know it's that story uh but we find out very early miss price is a budging witch uh and she is and learning a <laughs> and a vegan and oh a vegan. <laughs> Woo. 
boy has vegan food come a long way uh can't say the same can't say the same thing for british food but vegan food has come a long way um (laughs) i love british listen it can't i mean it can't all be steak and kidney pie um I wish it could be, or maybe not the kidney, but you know, I do, I do love a good, good love shepherd's pie. Um, I was Next sitting here, with, here. I'll make it. Mm, uh, and so, you know, uh, uh, hilarity ensues as the children find out that she is a budging witch and they go on a, uh, uh, adventure after enchanting a bed knob uh, to travel through time and space to London to find Amelius Brown, who is the head of this course, who is subsequently cut off the uh, witching course, uh, which leads us through a lot of hilarity and another two hours of film. Um, So, (laughs) Another hour of film after that. But Jared, what are some things for you that just stand out from top to bottom that are just the high points of this film that you just think make this film just masterful? High points of the film have definitely changed for me. When I was a kid, it was absolutely the magic, magic aspects of it. And I think it was also, I was always drawn to things with a clear female protagonist. Mm -hmm. You mentioned nine to five earlier. That was another one of my childhood, very important childhood films, oddly nine to five (laughs) for a five-year-old. But I just, I I found her character so interesting. And I I grew up uh, the child of a World War II buff. So I Mm -hmm. knew, you know, my grandfather uh, had fought in the Pacific theater during during the war. His wife uh, had been a whack in Europe during World War II. So, you know, I I learned a lot from them. My dad, whether, you know, documentaries or the books he was reading, well, dad, what's that about? And you, you know, tell me. Mm -hmm. And um, so even in my my, uh, very limited understanding or knowledge, I knew that the Nazis were the worst of the worst on earth. Mm -hmm. You know, they were, that was was pretty much as bad as you could get as far as people. And so I, I just found it thrilling that, that this, this independent, strong, smart woman was literally finding any way she could to combat the Nazis. You know, I loved that even as a kid. Um, and of course, that, that I still find really important and thrilling. As an adult, though, it's, you know, when, when you're a kid bobbing along in the bottom of the beautiful briny blue is, you know, the height of sophistication. And, you know, I could sing that word for word at five years old. Now the age of misbelieving and some of the other more mature mm-hmm. songs in the piece. Um, I think we've had this conversation about various things that the older we get, the more beautiful things that we liked the more complex and the more beautiful and the more we understand things that as kids, you'll love the animation sequences. You love, you know, that there's these shoes tap dancing with Angela Lansbury and no body in them and, you know, all that stuff. But that really, this is a really beautiful story about people believing in themselves and people finding home and, you know, learning to trust themselves and learning their, their true value. 
Mm-hmm. And I just, I, that, that's what hits me more and more as, as I watch it and I get older and, uh, you know, just how, what, a, what beautiful characters they all are. Mm-hmm. You know, even Absolutely. the kids, just Carrie always, I always really liked her. And now she, there's, when I look at her, she, were, she, she could be one of Vince's sisters. Like she just looks like <laughs> one of the, one of the, the Boyle girls, but, um, you know, just how sweet she is with everything and, you know, how funny the boys are and mm-hmm. that, that little family unit that they, that they create. And of course, you know, Tessie O'Shea's in it and she's fabulous. And, mm-hmm. you know, just some of the other, the, the cameo roles. Um, but yeah, the, the special effects are out of this world. The music, the score, what I loved as a kid, I still love now. And what I didn't necessarily think was necessary as a kid now makes the whole thing better, you know, the whole thing work for me. Um, and I, I've never found it long. I always feel like it's too short. <laughs> I want the story to go on. Well, and that's why I think when I was thinking earlier that I actually would actually, I, uh, I would <laughs> actually, <laughs> I would love to see this as an extended series, like is a short run series, but where you get to live in this world for eight hours instead of two hours. Um, and we can explore the time of them maybe being stuck, uh, you know, and this is expounding upon it, but Paul can't get the bed knob to work easily all the time. You know, maybe it is as problematic, you know, her mat. I do like one of the things I love is that she can't get the animal, the bunny, the bunny spell to work. And it's always a little glitchy. And so, you know, there are little things more like that that I would have loved to see that we extended them out a little bit. Um, well, I, I have to admit, I don't know if this is the right time to bring it up, but I I, oh yeah. I do hope to see the stage version. <gasps> Me too. I want us to talk a little more in-depth about the musical okay. in a bit, especially now that the pictures have come out. And I know you and I had a very similar reaction. And I think they were very smart for that first image that they release of her is on the broom in the hat with the, the, the sword. It's so, so good. It was so I'm literally choking. (laughs) It was it was one of those where I always get apprehensive. Um, I'm I'm someone where I love the Mary Poppins adaptation of the musical. I think it is fantastic. Um, And so I was excited to see that this was going to take place in the UK first and not an American adaptation because I worry about American adaptation uh a period after we've all watched diana on netflix in the last few weeks um i heard judy k is marvelous judy k is good in everything how she, i mean judy k is always good <laughs> uh the cast is phenomenal of it um i a tiktoker said is it good no but is it the most aligned way of probably how diana would want her life remembered absolutely and i went you're right because diana was campus tits too like honestly (laughs) the woman loved the gays she was best friends with freddie mercury she intentionally wore that off the shoulder short skirt like all of these things like the woman i'm not gonna this is not a uh diana was murdered uh uh by by certain people podcast but it could be um uh but yeah no it's uh, I'm glad they're doing it. I think it's the right time too. honestly coming in the wake of the two years after Disney plus and so many people getting to revisit this film. I do think it is actually a lovely time to release the musical of it. Um, And, you know, and it's been 
15 years since Poppins premiered. So like, you know, uh, let's give us another good Disney adaptation that's not and, affiliated with Disney theatrics. And and Poppins is back on in the West End and doing well again. Mm-hmm. You know, so that's why I I, I am very excited. Um, I'm trying to think of other specific, mo- like, well, I, I told you specific highlights for me. Um, always the substitutionary locomotion. Yes. A- anytime both both of those it's like i said like you know I, I, my breath catches when i think it's paul the littlest one goes look and she looks up and and the 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 banners are just mm-hmm, gently mm-hmm, blowing mm-hmm. in the non-existent breeze and then the, the trumpets raise and the drums start i'm just like oh my god it's it's uh, so it's going to be weird that i'm equating the two of them but for me it's also a lot of when i revisit american werewolf in london and I re- I know, I know you're, you're, you're giggling what? right now. It is the, it's the fact that now a studio would do everything they could to make none of those practical effects. And I love that that had to be a practical, like it had to be a practical effect because the like laser, the laser light show that we get when they, when they travel is about as advanced as we were technologically because we see it in the same year. I just covered Phantom Tollbooth. We have a lot of the exact same effects. Um, Willy Wonka and the Chocolate Factory I did a couple months ago, a lot of the same effects because that is where we were. They were utilizing, Walt Disney was always about utilizing the utmost technology. Um, I mean, literally nine years later, Black Hole would premiere, which for anyone who has seen Black Hole, now it is weird that it was released the same year Star Wars and they are two very different films, but George Lucas, again, a man decades ahead of his time. And now a man decades out of his time. Uh, but you know, you, you, maybe sometimes you're only great once, but remember Jared, nobody wears underwear in space. Um, (laughs) every time I hear that, I just hear it in Carrie's voice from when I saw, uh, wishful drinking on Broadway. And she just said, George gave me the bullshit of nobody wears a bra in space. And I said, fuck you. Um, (laughs) uh, But she's like, thank God my tits look great. And I was like, fuck, this woman is a treasure. (laughs) So something I want to talk about that we talked about earlier that is stand out for me because the Disney Plus version has this extended version. And I think this is the first time I've seen it because I, I... now, again, this might just be like uh, brain. I don't think it premiered on Disney Plus with the the extended Portobello Road sequence because I don't remember watching it a year ago. But I, you know, um, so this sequence, there's something interesting about it because the main characters are not in two thirds of the scenes. But I think it's interesting because while Disney has never been on the forefront of racial diversity um this so adequately shows the rich diversity of the community of london specifically in this community in a way that i was blown away because you know we get the three very white communities then we get the greek community we get russian community then we get the uh south asian community then we get the caribbean community then and and they just kind of kept going and going and going now i have a complaint about this section and it's me being picky 
Can you guess what it is? It would be the Middle Eastern section, specifically. Um, yes, because I think two of the actors were in brown face, but that is- Absolutely, uh, absolutely. Uh, but I also think one of them was a black actor in brown face. But again, this is me projecting, so it's not that. It's actually the, the young women's costumes in the entire number. Because they are clearly 1968. Uh, they are clearly dresses from 1968. Um, I did think it was interesting because we get the first two. It is the correct length for the 1940s. It is that mid-calf, those bright colors. And I was like, I get, oh, I know what you do, dear. Oh, you, you don't have to tell us, sweetheart. We know what you do. Specifically, <laughs> the, the, young, the young women dancing in the Caribbean section, it looks like they were borrowed from a production of West Side Story. I agree. So the the yes the the first two young women we get the the colors do not scream wartime England, but I think that's the point one because they are um, friends of Nell Gwyn. If if I would if I would, they're orange Ye uh, they're orange yeah. sellers. If we're going to be polite yes. with all those handsome dancing uh, soldiers, because I'm sorry. Put a Another man in a thing, Navy costume and I'm there. Well, not just Navy, but they showing the different branches and the yes. different Commonwealth or uh, this point Commonwealth branches mm -hmm. that would have been fighting. And, and not only that, but there is a brief sequence with female soldiers. Yes. The yep. young women who march in in their uniforms. And there were a handful of what would have been early American soldiers that had gone over before the, the mandatory. There were a couple of our costumes yes. in there as well, which yes. also important to talk about the men that volunteered to go and fight before we decided to take part. Mm -hmm. I think, you know, um, but I loved, I loved the, the Caribbean costumes. I did a little, little research and the military costumes are flawless. I mean, mm -hmm. That's the thing. You can't have a Disney movie and not talk about flawless costumes. Like it is something that Disney's always really excelled with, especially in their big films. Uh, now, again, it's all of the women in this who are not the first four young women we meet. Um, they have the right, again, the right silhouettes, right length, wrong colors, very Mary Quince. They're very Mary Quince, very mod colors. Um, but every, all the other women in this that are not the older, like very like drunk Irish women dancing who are my favorite in oh, this scene. I, but that, and that's one of the beautiful things about that. The, the final scene where it becomes almost uh -huh. a parade mm -hmm. and it, it, it blends the, 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 the Caribbean music into the rest of the mm -hmm. sequence. And suddenly everyone is dancing mm -hmm. together in the streets. And it's a really beautiful moment. Well, cause we've even got some women in hijabs and we've got uh, other, yes. you've got several um, uh, East Asian actors in there as well that like, Again, with the exception of that one little bit of the Middle Eastern section, everybody, it looks like they literally went out to near where they were filming in England and was like, let's just bring people in. Well, it was filmed in Burbank. Was it filmed in Burbank? Yes. They did some location stuff, but that Portobello mm -hmm. Road set, as, as, oh, as clearly well as they did, a, Clearly a set. But, yeah. Clearly a set. Well, it's because you don't want, you know, it's England. It's going to rain more than likely. It's like filming something in Florida. You're not going to set up Portobello Road. I mean, also, they couldn't have shut down in the 70s. They couldn't have shut down. The cost of making Portobello Road in 1968 look like 1940 would have been so astronomical. And 
and at the time it's interesting i i so alice levine has a new uh wait was it alice's podcast it was alice has a new podcast british scandal and they just mm-hmm. did the perfumo incident and they freaked they talked a few times about uh portobello road and in the late you know the 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 60s it was not the charming neighborhood it is that we visit now mm-hmm. and what a rough part of town it was yes. um and dangerous part of town mm-hmm. it was so uh, that comes up in the poor um oh what's her name yeah, anyway our Alice, we live it. We do love our oh, Alice. Yes. Um, and if you haven't listened to that, you have to. There's, it's. I, I new, haven't listened to her other podcast. I need to. Ugh. But I think overall, I think that it is also such a Disney scene. But again, the music in this also, you can tell that it was originally designed and written around the Sherman Brothers doing the score. And then to not have a Sherman Brothers score, I don't miss it. Um. I this don't is think Sherman it, Brothers. Is it Sherman Brothers? Yes, absolutely. Um, oh, well, they weren't the only ones. That, oh. Um, oh. But apparently some of the original score caused Walt to fall asleep in his chair while he was uh, sitting at the demo. So it took a lot of updating, which again, I love the Sherman Brothers. Their work is flawless. It is literally transcended decades. Um, it's not always the most interesting um but it is it is so different from poppins which i appreciate it is different from the fact that the sherman brothers music never you can always tell it's them mostly but the fact that it never always sounds like the same songs or the same composers it's it's why i don't like pasik and paul I'm just going to throw it out there. They haven't done a Disney movie yet, but I also can't say much because I now work for the company that produces their musicals. So I can't say anything. We released Dear Evan Henson. Um, and, yeah, yeah, and you know what? Release, <laughs> release, release it. Release, release it to it. the heavens. Hopefully it won't come the fuck back. It's true. Um, <laughs> But we're also releasing West Side, and that looks actually really great. That looks that one looks enchanted. Uh, Sobs through every one of the trailers. So. Me too. Okay, when when Ariana DeBoyce is in in the blonde, her face she slams into the door at Doc's, and I know that scene is not going to be easy. I know it's going to be hard, but also with Rita Rita Morena's face just still looking like young Starlet when they just do that crossover her. I'm so excited for that movie, but this is still in the time uh, coming out of those giant production numbers in films. Disney was still releasing those kinds of musical moments in movies. Mm -hmm. And this was as the musical film. Well, you know, we were, we're getting Grease in the seventies. We're getting Annie in the seventies. We're getting West side in the seventies or, um, no, 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 no. Way earlier. Um, we're getting the whiz in the seventies. This is when we are seeing a spike in musical theater again, after the golden age of musical theater, but we would start getting, uh, seventies is also, the Dolly, movies right? weren't getting done. Yes, but mm-hmm. the movies were not being done as much and they were not being as successful. Mm-hmm. The stage shows 
we're hitting like a, a second golden age mm-hmm. with, you mentioned the whiz chorus line. Mm-hmm. Um, there, there was the, the you know, late seventies, the, the big revival of, of West side with Debbie Allen, mm-hmm. you know? So we are seeing the second golden age, of course, you know, this is the heyday of Fosse um, late sixties, early seventies, Candor and Ebb are on the ascendance, you mm-hmm. know, we're really seeing it. Honestly, I mean, to call it the second golden age of the musical. Yes, absolutely. Mm-hmm. Because you know, who else is, really coming into his own at that point uh steven sondheim <laughs> steven sondheim sir sondheim going to change musical theater forever thank god um, you know the year this was released my favorite musical to be on broadway which is follies if you were wondering mm-hmm. uh and so you know it was i like that they restored this number into this production this this um this digital format, I guess, and I would encourage everyone to sit through the full thing. Um, but it, you know, it is just my thing of, I feel like at some point they extended it and it wasn't originally part of the design, which is why they had to go out and get costumes or they just didn't want to worry about it and didn't, you know, it's just that one thing. Cause the, the rest of this movie down to like buttons and the tweed and the cut of skirts, like it is, deliciously 40s like it well late 30s going into 40 and not only 40s but ration 40s mm-hmm, mm-hmm, it mm-hmm. really it, it has that accurate wartime you feel that it's wartime the I mean, well obviously it starts mm-hmm. with military mm-hmm. people arriving which that i marvelous love. moment mm-hmm. of the old man mm-hmm. painting out the mm-hmm. that's what a nazi snazzy'd say isn't it you know, it's just like, oh, you know, it starts with that joke. And I'm like, oh, yeah, this is why I'm here. Well, and also something we haven't talked about, but her um, uh, her emergence on her motorbike into the town. Yeah, with the fact that she, as a witch, has a sulfur running bike. Like, she's also, like, an eco person. Like, I love all this. But, like, her beautifully pastel beret. They're oh. just like that riding jacket, like and it the says, goggles and the, the goggles. gloves. It's we know who she is from the moment, the moment, and it is because also like, um, the the costume design is by Bill Thomas. He is an amazing costume designer. Um, uh, most of you at home would probably know him best for Babes in Toyland, um, uh, which you know second favorite disney movie has you know it's got its flaws but i love it and i love annette funicello i love annette funicello so much um what a treat can we just Um, pause for a moment yeah tommy kirk oh tommy kirk we lost an icon and a like his story is difficult to talk about because he was a victim of the blacklist he was a victim of queer hunting in hollywood Mm -hmm. we would look at his situation now and go oh man you're still not in a great let's let's not be 20 dating a 15 year old shall we but uh you know it's also during a time and it literally ruined his entire life yes um one of the greatest things that I'm sad that I never got to go to a D23 event is because for the last like six, he's gone to each one of them and done autographs and things. Um, and it's, it's true. I'm also sad. I never got to release my 
Swiss Family Robinson episode because of some destroyed, like just digital compressed uh, uh, audio that just was ruined. Um, and uh, the, our guest and I, Kurt, talked a lot about like Tommy Kirk and what was happening and how like he, he, he and his brother <laughs> were my like awakening of boys that I had crushes on as young as a young person. Cause only being able to watch like Disney movies, I looked at them and I was like, oh, the sweet Twinkie brunette brain and the hunky blonde, redheaded, like reddish blonde, dumb brother. Like, <laughs> but also someone who I did not realize I had a crush on, whose role pretty much is cut from this film, with the exception oh. of about a minute and a half, uh, is Roddy McDowell, who yes. I, I mean, that darn cat, he is so good in as like he's one he's stupidly handsome um though he looks like a chuck jones drawing because his eyes are this big he's he's got the little peter pan nose like he's very handsome um but and he plays the local clergyman in this who i didn't realize is trying to marry yes her in, in the extended the, version in the extended version which back I'm now kind of determined to find that because that wasn't in this version no, that I no. watched. Uh, so that answers our question, honestly, earlier. Um, but he's also so good because he there's the scene uh, in uh, Substitutiary, Substitutiary Locomotion where he shows up and his hat goes in the house and comes out. And he's so wonderfully animated in the face he's so good and to know that we had like had that role cut from the movie is just so uh also because there's i think i've sent you a few of his videos we have that very handsome bisexual priest that is on TikTok. uh who also i will send him to you after okay. this if i haven't he's got he's got a little ginger hair little glasses um, he's not really a priest, but dresses up as a priest. Uh, and it has led me to go, oh, Father, I have sinned many times uh, uh, on TikTok, but he is delightful. But in this, I just go, I, man, maybe I just have a thing for men in clergy, <laughs> clergy wear. Uh, but it's just because Roddy, Roddy is so handsome. He's such a wonderful actor. He's so derpy in that way of like, well, that's the thing. They, they really chalked up with, uh, with the the smaller townies, if you will, in this. You know, we, we I mentioned Tessie O'Shea earlier, Roddy McDowell, uh, the, the you know the the gentleman in the old home guard. I mean, these people are marvelous, mm -hmm. and they're so real, you know. Mm -hmm. And they're so common to disney films especially of this time but also just like hollywood during this time they are um they're very common they've been around um something else i want to talk about is our animated sequence which is so polar i'd say it's the polar opposite to how they used animation in mary poppins because Mary Poppins, I think it was to show this otherworldly aspect. And while it's the same way in this, I, I also like to think that the reason it was animated is I can't imagine what a world of anthropomorphic animals would have looked like in 1968. Because um, this is still pre-Planet of the Apes. 
which is amazing still to this day. Speaking of Roddy McDowell, mm-hmm. well known for Planet of the Apes as Caesar. Yeah. Um, but uh, I, I understand because there's for me the section with the king playing soccer has always been a little off because it fits within the world of the the movie a thousand percent but i think i think it's animated only because it had to be animated Mm -hmm. um and it doesn't bother me that it's not i well one because it's still in that beautiful robin hood-esque way it's it's you can't get mad at Disney animation. Like you can't get mad at it ever. Um, it is funny because some of Robin Hood would be rotoscoped out of this movie. Um, but um, mm-hmm. yeah, I'd, it's so quirky, but it's the part of the film. And I think it's because it doesn't come in until the end of the second act that it to be the most remembered part of the movie for a lot of people is strange to me. But again, I think it's only because they would have had to do this because I don't think they had the time budget or truly the technology of the day without going full like universal monsters movie with a prosthetic and things, which while the universal monsters movies of the twenties and thirties revolutionized film it's not a disney aesthetic and it's not Mm -hmm. a disney movie and i think it would have been far more terrifying i I agree i think i think physical live action anthropomorphic animal creatures would have been terrifying and it wouldn't have felt magic it would have felt scary Mm -hmm. um how do you feel about so maybe i'm also chalking this up too because we know there are two cut songs possibly a third a lot of the music in this movie doesn't happen for the first bit of the movie. We get the opening number mm-hmm. and then some of the first big songs are much, much, much later where most Disney movies, all the music is put in the front third. I'd say this, it's in the back half that all the music is put into. And again, I'm going to chalk it up to the fact that we have three cut songs, two and a half. Mm -hmm. Um, But this also has way more music than your typical live action Disney film. There's there's definitely one uh, that, um, that she, that was cut when she explains to the kids that she, how how she explains she's a witch too. That was definitely cut. So that would have been her first big number, Mm -hmm. which we don't, she doesn't sing until age of not believing. Uh Which is so interesting also, because this is that age of women who had atypical voices. Yes. Because we've got, we've got a merman and we've got Channing and we've got Lansbury and we've got a lot, uh, we've got B Arthur. We've got a lot of these women who are working in musical theater. Um, but again, I don't mind at all. Um, uh, and you know, I think I like to think that that group of women ends with Bernadette Peters and Patty Lapone because they both have unusual voices as well mm-hmm. that I'm, I'm sure if it had been out of that moment of lightning, that existed for them. I'm, you know, I am not sure they would have become as huge as they did, but they did. And that is all that matters. Cause I love Thank them, yes. but it is, it is interesting to hear her sing in this um, again, because she sings less than I would say everybody else. Um, yeah. And but uh, professor I, Brown does more songs than she does. Technically. But I think it's, I think it makes sense because she's, 
I think with she starts to sing when she starts to soften up to him and to the children. And so I actually think from a modern standpoint, looking at it storytelling wise, because the first time we see her genuinely smile is when she is forced to dance on Portobello Road. And she, that is when we first see her soften. And then we see her see the children for the first time because she sees the wonder and that they're not bad kids. It's just that they haven't experienced a giant world yet. Mm -hmm. And so those are those moments where she's annoyed at him, but I think she's so fascinated by him um, of someone that everybody else has left her alone and he won't. And so there's something so interesting because in a modern situation, we would have two very different looking people play these roles. Younger people play these roles. I don't, I don't want younger people to play either one, but I think in a contemporary casting room, you would go with, I mean, it's what happened with Poppins Returns. Emily Blunt is in her mid thirties playing Mary Poppins, but it works because she is in, she's a time Lord. She does not age. <laughs> well, and um, also when Julie played it, she was 25. Yeah. So, you so, know, it makes sense. It makes sense. Yeah. Um, but this is also from a time from pure styling standpoint, all women looked older than they were. You look like a little girl with pigtails until you're 16. And then suddenly you look like you're 30. Like that was just how. Well, I just did the math. Uh, <laughs> Ms. Lansbury was three years older than I am now when she played Ms. Price. Yes. Um, but she. Because this woman started her career in vaudeville, much like Betty White. Like, like I don't, if, I don't know anybody out there that hasn't had a musical theater uh, upbringing or education that didn't have to watch "Wouldn't You Like to Spoon with Me" sung by Angela Lansbury on a swing in a showgirl costume, and it's delightful. Um, which they bring back out in that episode of of our of uh uh murder she wrote when she's playing her her cousin with the red hair sings it in the pub and i just went oh i was watching it with my mom and she's like what's the matter i was like i literally can't explain this to you and you not fall asleep while i'm explaining it to you um but you know i think i I'm like, I don't think it's a perfect movie, but I love this movie nonetheless. And every time what I love about this movie is people that are true fans of this movie. When you bring it up, their entire aura sparkles, their face lights up in such a wonderful way um, that I just think it's so lovely. Um, and I'm glad we have it on Disney plus. Is there anything that you would tweak about it, Jared? Like being a creative, being a, a even though you're a diehard fan of it, is there anything you would tweak from a story standpoint or like a filmmaking standpoint? Uh, one thing I want to say I love, and it's near right before he he makes his false exit, mm -hmm. Professor Brown, and he talks about them going on the road again. You know, and she's already put that down several times. But this time he specifically says Eglantine and Emilius. Mm -hmm. He puts her first. Mm -hmm. I love it. I, you know what I had the thought earlier was because we're getting uh, an Agatha Harkness show now, 
in the comic books, Agatha Harkness looks like a Gibson girl and she's older. She has bright white hair. She's kind of agelessly 80 to 90. I would love to see Angela Lansbury show up in a scene or two as an alternate version, like a multiverse version of Agatha. That is the comic version of the high collar with the cat and the Gibson girl. And it'd be very kind of tongue in cheek moment from this movie. It's, it's, it's my mind is always racing for new, like casting things. And yeah. that was one way. Cause we're playing with what if we're playing with a multiverse now with Marvel. <clears throat> and that's just when I went, could we just get, just like one scene of that one one scene because i love that angela lansbury still will occasionally act she will occasionally do things now i mean the woman is in her 90s like this these theater actors like you just cannot the mckellen that, just played hamlet he's 82 eight shows a week he did yes like, well i mean even 10 years ago i saw angela lansbury on broadway and blight spirit she was great and and up until two or three years ago, she was supposed to do a revival of the Chalk Garden in New mm-hmm. York. Like, who are you? Oh, and she was great. Time in Lord. Little, and she was great in Time uh, Night Music as well. Oh, yeah. even though that show is boring to me, it's a lovely show, but I find it massively boring. <laughs> but I love watching. I mean, I enjoyed I'm watching. Sorry, I just it had with, a stroke. <laughs> I know you did. I have nobody at home. I literally think I just watched you convey about thirty-five different emotions. Um, but I enjoyed both casts of that show uh, massively. But she and um, she and Catherine Zeta-Jones together were lovely, mm-hmm. lovely, 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 lovely. Um, but she's she's just a true, true artist. She truly is. Because like I compared this to the, probably the thousand times I've watched the her and George Hearn in Sweeney, the the DVD that's available of that, which. I don't know how Sondheim managed the witchcraft of the American Playhouse filming 90% of his fucking canon, but like, I'm, I'm thankful for it. The only one that I, that I think is missing that deserves to be recorded was the 90, uh, 95 funny thing forum with Nathan Lane. I would have loved to have a recording of that like yes. a, a video recording of that. Yes. Um, and then we try, well, I would also love a fully staged recording of the original company as well. I I now live in a house where I don't ever need to see the original again. Oh yeah. Well, it's cause you've gotten the beautiness of getting to see the English revival, but that's, that's I, what it is for me now. But I love company. And I just, because I also know that like, we got the documentary of them filming or recording the cast recording after they've been told they were going to close. So it's like, I would have loved to seen what that performance was like, like the next time in the theater, I would have loved to seen what that would have been like, like, you know, but we also don't have very many musicals from that era. So, you know, but like, we've even got a guy, like we've got Pippin, we've got, I don't know. Or, I'm sorry, and that's Steven Schwartz. Um, but it's also like, we have so many, oddly enough, so many of the Sondheim musicals from the late 70s, early 80s, we've got two of the Schwartz with both the Godspell and a Pippin from the late seventies that exist. And it's like, how did that, how did that just happen out of a, you know, cause between, I think into the woods is the last Sondheim that we have. 
that was recorded in that way. But it's because the next one was the frogs and no one cares about the frogs. I care about the frogs, but other people don't care about the frogs. I like Ugh. the frogs. I do I particularly, too. I particularly like the final sequence and how they updated it per se mm-hmm. with mm-hmm. Uh, Shaw and Shakespeare. And I just think that's so fucking, so smart. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I agree. I agree. But in, is there anything that you would have in, in her career that, you know, if it had been a different time, you would have loved to seen Angela Lansbury's take on that she didn't get to do Sally or Phyllis. Mm. I would have loved to seen her in Follies. Mm-hmm. 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 It would have been interesting to see her as Sally with like Elaine Stritch as Phyllis. Mm-hmm. Now well, I wouldn't have wanted to hear that uh, Phyllis sung by Stritch. No. But um, um, no, yeah. we we haven't talked. Anyone can whistle if we're talking Lansbury. Oh. Um, oh. Or. I, let me tell you, I put on her gypsy one, at least once a month. I have a vinyl of her gypsy. Oh my God. And it's so different, but it's so, it's so interesting because you can hear her acting beats through the speakers, which I love. Like you a can young, hear her acting. A young man uh, that I was doing Annie with, uh, he's a freshman in high school. Um, I've known him for a few years. Lovely, lovely young man. And he would have a he would have his question of the day for for everybody in the dressing room that's so cute and um and i remember one of the one of the questions of the day was if if you could if you could go back in time and if you had a time machine you could go back in time and see any like one specific like, musical in its production oh. would be. and without without batting an eye even before the original follies i said i want to see angela lansbury's mama rose anything no I would tweak yeah. nothing. Yeah, it is honestly. It, it's one of those that I will just let go because mm-hmm. I really love it that much as it is. Now that is not to say, and I was thinking about this because I remember the first time I saw the Mary Poppins on stage, there were things I missed. I missed hit, uh, Mr. Banks' entrance song. You know, I missed Sister Suffragettes. Uh, I, you know, there were so many things I missed. But by the time it got to the end of the show, I was so wholly sold on what they had done to make it a really beautiful and moving and uh, complex story. They, they, God help me for saying this, but in, in a, a way, they really improved the story. Mm-hmm. So I look at this and I go, I don't know if this stage adaptation they're doing of this is a facsimile. I believe they put back in some of the cut songs. Mm-hmm. Or, and, and I know they brought in another music, uh, composer lyricist to work on it as well for additional material. So I'm thinking, does this mean that they're going to expand it the way that they did Mary Poppins and deepen it and things? And I'm all on board for that. I will sit through a three hour bed knobs and broomsticks on stage. So I, I am, I'm very excited to see what they will do with it. But the movie as it is, chef's kiss, I let it be. I agree. Any, and I think there are also things that like, this is one of those things that it just, it brings me such joy that I don't need it to change. I don't, Yeah. but I look forward to seeing it in different versions. Like the idea of getting to see it on the West end or I would love, I mean, I was yelling about this on Facebook the other day. I think every show that stays open longer than a month on the West end or Broadway deserves a pro shot. 
I think there should be, we should live in a universe where we can access a pro shot of every musical so that we can like the fact, I mean, I guess you and I are also from a different age group of like, we're even from the pre YouTubers. So like, uh, back in the day, I remember I had a friend who had a, a recording of 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 a preview performance of Rent on Broadway on a VHS. Wow. And it was like those things were unheard of. Like that was the old dark web was being able to buy a VHS bootleg or, you know, the fact that like there were a handful of like. I remember renting the end of the woods on VHS from my library over and over and over and over again, because I could, or the Sandy Duncan, Peter Pan existing on, um, VHS or the Leslie Warren Cinderella existing on VHS. Those were, we're in that time where now, if you go type in slime tutorial on YouTube, every musical (laughs) that's run for the last 20 years has a recording. Am I mad at it? No. Um, do I feel like you can only truly experience a show in a theater? Yes. But do I, would I rather have a pro shot of an all-star cast of wicked than a movie? Absolutely. Do I want, do I want a pro shot of Rachel Tucker's alpha, but yes, yes, I do. Um, PS, uh, October 23rd, we're seeing come from away in New York. I can't wait to hear what you think of that show. Um, but Rachel Tucker is, in the Jen Colella role, yeah. This She's is back. that's that's why. <laughs> yeah, that's why. Now, now. Yeah, yeah. I, um, I wholly agree with you, and I don't think it, that it diminishes anything. In fact, mm-hmm. there are so many shows that I would much prefer. Uh, oddly enough, for as much as I love Chicago on stage and just such a theatrical story, I love what he did with the film. The movie I adore is the perfection. Film. Mm-hmm. Yes. Mm-hmm. Same thing with, and, and you know, we, we, we talked about that. Um, we talked about the London production, the revival of dream girls, which other than one or two of the actors, I did not really mm-hmm. love me either. Marisha Wallace is flawless. Mm-hmm. Um, and I'm, so glad we, I'm so glad when I'm in it, but the that film movie. is movie. perfect. Mm-hmm. So there are very few instances where I say that the one I wish that they kind of tried a pro shot when they filmed it, but they missed the mark. I wish they had just pro shot the producers on stage. Mm-hmm. The movie's great. And I'm glad we have it. Mm-hmm, but at the same mm-hmm. time, I would have preferred them just to film that original company mm-hmm. as, as was, there, there, you know, there's a few things that have happened recently. Um, I'm from my understanding. I think Dear Evan Hansen would have benefited from a pro shot of the stage version which I didn't dislike. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, there, there are a number of shows out there that are so inherently theatrical that making a movie of nine has ruined it. Uh, Cats, the 1998 pro shot of Cats is astounding. There is no reason to have made a film of Cats. I There's agree. no reason that, and, and, and you have the original star from the West end coming back 20 years later or whatever it was, and still sounds and looks as perfect as she was the day she did it in 1980, you know? And you had dancers that could focus on just dancing and like Ben, Oh, I forget his last name, but Benjamin is Mr. Mistopheles in that movie is he's so good. Everyone is so good from the top to the bottom. Mm-hmm. That's one of those things of like, they enriched that show because you could really focus on all of the moments inside of that warehouse. And I think there are just some shows that like, 
I just think like, I know they want to do a film of Legally Blonde, but I would much rather just have a pro shot of a cast of that show. We did. I know. They the one on MTV. They well, I well, oh yes, 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 yes. Well, I would like, I would like them to uh, uh, HD. Give me a little HD go in buffer out because that was just they didn't record it in high def cameras. That was just before high def. Okay. So it is available. I love it. Um, but like we don't need a legally blonde musical movie. Or like we don't need another little shop. I'm gonna say this again. We don't need another little shop. Certainly. No, I, I, as as annoyed as I am that they changed the ending of that original film, that original film is I I mean. No one will ever be better than Ellen Green. I'm sorry. No one will ever be better than Ellen Green. Sir. Faith Prince was great. You know, Carrie Butler is marvelous. There are, but, but that's one of those that we have Ellen Green on film in a quality film version of a stage musical. And both women who are up for that role, I don't want to watch either of them play that role. Who? Gaga and ScarJo. Do I want to hear Lady Gaga sing somewhere that's green? Yes. Do it in a concert. Do it in your Vegas show. I would I would pay a thousand dollars literally just to listen to her sing like the American songbook. But yes, uh or, I don't... or sh- show tunes out the wazoo speaking up. I would love to hear her record Coronet Man, uh, you know, all of Fanny's songs. But you know what? Mm-hmm. As soon as tickets go on sale, you know who's buying himself two tickets to see Beanie on Broadway? Me. Oh, you too? <laughs> Me too. <laughs> it's going to have to be the same. It's going to have to be the same performance too. Like oh, we're going to have, oh, oh, I oh. want to experience that with you. Like, oh my God, just her going, hello, gorgeous. It's, I can't. She's so good. Oh, I, we haven't talked about it. She's playing Monica Lewinsky in a Ryan Murphy show right now. We have not talked about it. I'm waiting till it's all done to binge. Me too. Me too. But I, Mm -hmm. uh, but Jared, I always love having these conversations with you. This is so lovely. (laughs) We don't, we don't get to do this enough. It is so, so lovely. So if you could just sum up for everyone listening at home, who for some reason, isn't been sold by us rambling about it. What, how would you sell this movie to everybody at home? That's never seen it before. It's the definition of magic. It's joy. Mm-hmm. And it makes me feel like a kid again. I love that. I love that so much. I also love like a magical caretaker film. Like give me Poppins, oh. give me Nanny McPhee. Yes. Give me, give me, um, give me bed knobs and broomsticks any day. Like the three of those. Well, and I would also say Poppins returns because people can be as pious about it as they want. But Emily oh. Blunt is transcendent. I love her. I loved that film. I, I did know, too. I, 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 absolutely. Um, did I want a better score in that film? Yes, but it's fine. It's fine. Yeah. It's absolutely. I still think I'm going to scream about this. And I think I always bring this up. It might always be with you. There was no reason for them to not have the finale of that movie be anything can happen if you let it. That is the, well, that's, I want a pro shot of that musical because talk about a moment that has me ugly crying till the end of the show when she flies through the fucking house mm-hmm. through the whole audience and then is somehow back on stage five seconds later for that curtain call and she 
reaches her hand out to you in the audience. So I'm going to sit here and I'm going to cry. Um, <sighs> but no, I just, you are uh, like, I'm really, I'm so jazzed to start seeing like, honestly, I feel like they will do a pro shot of this musical only because the Brits take better quality. They always record things one because it's, funded partially by the government so i yes. think they have to have some sort of footage of it um and they don't keep it secret like leakin center does they don't just put it in a big big vault i mean i know anybody can go rent from lincoln center if you've got a library card but who thinks about signing up for a library card before you go to new york just to go spend a day at lincoln center well, and what the national theater has done mm-hmm. with N- nt at home oh, mm-hmm. which i have i now have a subscription to um i recently recently showed my freshman the first 20 minutes of helen mccrory's medea <gasps> with michaela cole <sighs> i mean that that's the kind of thing that you know even if you wait five years to put it, to make a show available, mm-hmm. you know, uh, although I, I have had several of my colleagues and students be like, oh, did you watch Come From Away? I said, no, I'm seeing it in two weeks. I will watch mm-hmm. the, I will watch Dear Jen Colella mm-hmm. and that company do it after I've seen it live, which I, that's how I want to experience it first. Sans Chad Kimball and his COVID, but good riddance. Oh. He yeah. and Laura Osnes can go start their COVID theater community together. I don't have fucking time for that. Maybe they'll bring Alice Ripley along with them. They seem like they'd be in a good company. Uh, yeah, no, I'm still mad at them, but it's fine. It's fine. Let them go. They can go away. I mean, Memphis was an amazing. I love that Memphis got a pro shot. I love that show. I will defend Memphis until the sun comes down. I thought it was a better version of Hairspray than Hairspray, but that's just me. But uh, Hairspray is a show I wish it had a pro shot. I love that original production. I uh, I will say I like some of the new orchestrations of the movie because like as an Edna who doesn't need to sing down here, I would love to be able to have the John Travolta keys as an option. Um, uh, but uh, I, I mean, Queen, I will say Queen Latifah's I Know Where I've Been is everything. Well, yes. But no, she's I, everything. Like she's she just a is, great performer. She is, she is, she is, but... But whether it was Jennifer Lewis, who they, my mm-hmm. understanding, they wrote it for, or Mary Bond Davis, who I saw do it. <sighs> yeah. Or even if it had been like a Jennifer Holiday, like a woman with a little more age, because like Queen Latifah was in her early 40s and Motormouth. The, it's, yeah, no, it's, it's a thing. I agree with you. I wish I had a pro shot as well. I really would love to see the new production on the west end where they're just making their motor mouth and the original team have just gone in and rewritten a lot of the score to be and uh script to be more pertinent for a 2021 audience and update because like john john waters even said he said even a racist likes hairspray uh which is funny that right now white kids on tiktok are saying that it's racist against white people you're missing the point kids you're missing the point (laughs) we don't need to cancel hairspray uh we we can't acknowledge where it exists they can and and keep moving on from it uh Mm -hmm. and just because you do it doesn't mean it's a diverse show for your student body but i you know i enjoy that show so much i do too Um, i just wish i don't understand when you're making a musical movie why they need to bring in people who have never touched a fucking musical before And like musical staging on film is almost impossible. 
It was an art form for so long and it is so difficult to do. I don't understand why they're like, you know, this, this, this director who's pretty good in their career has never done this thing. Let's, let's give them a $150 million musical to ruin for the first time or like i'll even say it with aladdin the fact that guy Ritchie was the one that they gave aladdin to wasn't the problem it's the fact that they gave an alan mankin steve uh alan mankin howard ashman show to a non-musical theater group to handle for the first time it was just unnecessary like i just don't or i don't get it giving rent to Chris Columbus. Christopher Columbus, who makes literal children's film. And I love them. Yeah. They're, yeah. Oh, like Home Alone. I love the Home Alone movies, but it's like, look at that. Then look at like Reefer Madness. Like, stop saying just because somebody did musical theater in college or in their high school, it doesn't make them a musical theater performer. It doesn't make them um, a singer. Like, it's just one of those things. It's like, they don't have to be in those roles because it's like the fact that we're arguing whether uh, women who have slaved their whole career away to getting principal roles on Broadway don't deserve to play their roles in film so a Disney Channel star can play them. Like, the fact that they want real 19 year olds to play Alphaba and Glinda in the Wicked film to me means no one working on that film has read the fucking script. They are in college. Then act two is three to five years later. And you also need people with emotional fucking stability who are not movie stars. I would argue that a lot of the time we need musical theater performers in musical theater films because they one the i know it sounds r ridiculous to say but for a lot of them the working class know-how of having to struggle for their art form like that's why i can't wait to see what ariana dubois anita is going to be like in west side wait. because she's so talented and she has a literal community of people uh behind her in north carolina who she has been a pivotal part of and went to broadway and like she's so talented and it was worked so hard and that's why there are just certain people that like like give one of the i forget emmy emmy river um as alphabet like give it to her she's played it twice she was in hamilton she's in the hamilton pro shot like give it to her let her play the fucking role i don't care like i'm gonna go see the wicked film no matter what but like give it to somebody who i'm gonna enjoy hearing i'm probably not yeah. gonna go see it but um but you know it's just one of those things i think as we as we wrap up it's just like let's move forward with your favorite movie star doesn't need to be auto-tuned in your favorite musical for for you to go see it like we should applaud for them never needing an auto-tune like everybody gets sweetened but like if they have to literally go in and alter someone's voice in a musical they shouldn't have been cast in the musical like yeah in a musical film and that's just that is where i'm gonna end my conversation with you today <laughs> hey nerf herders you sure you want to go with that hey everyone there we go more inviting have you ever had a movie that you really wanted to love but something holds you back or one that you did love in spite of a flaw well i'm casey and i'm sam alisea and on another pass we sit down with cool guests to look at movies that we find fascinating but flawed and we try to imagine what could have been done when they were made to give them that little push. 
We're not experts. We just believe in criticism. Uh, constructive criticism. Sure. So come take another pass at some movies with us. And every now and then, we can celebrate movies that did it on their own, too. You can find us at CertainPOV.com or wherever you get your podcasts. Pass it on. Thanks, as always, for tuning in for another deep dive into the files of Saturday Morning Confidential. I always love having Jared on the show. Remember, you can check out his Dolphin Dreams episode as well as both episodes of Inklings that he helped us produce. Now, don't forget to check us out on Patreon. We're only $2 a month. Let's us know you love what we're doing. And don't forget to leave a five-star rating and review on your podcast platform. Now, tune in next time as we take a deep dive behind the Midnight Society as I discuss, Are You Afraid of the Dark? Join us next time. CPOV. CertainPOV.com.